from inside John Hurt's chest, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Put your hands together for two face huggers, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. We do love us a good alien reference. That always that's always a lot of fun. Corey, who uh, which fan sent that in? That was courtesy of Alexander Berlika. Alexander, who uh, in Belarus is probably not enjoying the same kind of winter weather as we have here. Well, it was uh, it was cold for a while. Yeah, it was cold for a while. Mark, tell the folks how it's been for the last few days. Well, the last two days it's been hot, like in the eighties, low eighties, uh, high seventies, low eighties. It's it's like a summer day. It's today, seriously. It just it, I don't like it. Yeah, it's not January weather, that's for sure. It's, I like January weather. I like the winter. I like the winter. There's nothing wrong with the winter. But it's, even when know, it's been cold, it's been dry and windy. It hasn't been wet. It hasn't been rainy. It hasn't been overcast. I miss that. Uh, I do like the rain. Yeah. Well, in I'll fact, you, I like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Okay. So what do you call this thing that I'm eating here that you made for me? Well, here, real quick, we're going to do uh, the Ruggler thing. Now, Ruggla is a little Jewish pastry. It's about like an inch long, and it uh, looks like a little teeny, teeny, tiny uh, crescent roll. With right? like with it, except it's a. It has stuff. It has it has stuff in the middle. That yeah. that stuff is a combination of uh, nice. brown sugar, chopped uh, uh, brown sugar, uh, regular sugar, cinnamon. Very nice. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Soft, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Very good. Very nice. You should open up your own bakery or something. You know, by the way, we got an email from Eric Altieri. Uh, and he had something very interesting to uh, present to us, and I told him we were going to do this. Now, here is the email. Yep. Hey, Mark. This one was for me, Wade. All the emails are always for you. This one? Yeah. For me. For Christmas, I got a great vegan pie cookbook. I've been vegetarian for quite a while, vegan for three years, so this cookbook was a great treat. I've tried this cheesecake recipe and found it not only really easy but delicious as well, so I thought I'd send it your way as you've been baking up a storm recently. I've attached a few scans of the recipe as a PDF. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Eric was nice enough to send us a, uh, cheesecake, a, graham, a cheesecake recipe. It uh, has a graham cracker crust and blueberry bliss cheesecake, which uh, I'm going to make uh, either for the next – for I think I'll make it two shows from now since I'll have more time to make sure it looks good. But Eric Altieri, thank you so much for that. That is awesome. I love cheesecake. Uh, vegan cheesecake uh, sounds good to me. As long as it's cheese and cake, that's all that really matters. Yeah, I, and graham cracker crust. I'm, I'm, I'm By the way, wait, you, 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 you know my theory on this. Uh, Everything, every entree or appetizer tastes better with um, Thai peanut sauce, and every dessert tastes better with a graham cracker crust. That is my theory. I've never heard that theory. I'm uh, inclined to buy into it. Right. Seriously, yeah. name one thing that would not taste better with uh, with Thai peanut sauce. Put on a hamburger. It's you true. Put anything. Yeah. It's no, the it's greatest. True. You just drink it. It's good. It is good. Thai peanut we, sauce we like is the best. Yeah, it's a bad, and it's every great. dessert is better with a graham cracker crust, which, by the way, very easy to make. The great thing about a graham cracker crust mm-hmm. is that people think it's delicious, and they think you slaved over a hot graham cracker, but actually it is so easy to make. Michael Winner died. Michael Winter died. Michael Winter, the director of uh, Death Wish. And The Mechanic and uh, a number of other, well, quite a number, a couple of dozen films at least that you probably never heard of. Well, because they sucked. But he was, he was a real bon vivant kind of a guy. And uh, that's why Wade and I were talking before the show about how a guy who 
he seemed he was he he retired to become a restaurant critic. He was hilarious on Twitter. He was a real kind of a gadfly, bon vivant, interesting guy, great writer. He would wind restaurant up restaurant critic. That's so weird. But he would wind up doing just like the the weirdest, just the worst B movies. Yeah, although yeah. De- although Death Wish for those uh, who were not around at that time, which is to say most of you, uh, Death Wish at the time really struck a chord. It's a good movie, Death Wish, the original Death Wish. Forget all the sequels. And Winner even did uh, one or two of those sequels. I know he did like Death Wish three. He might have done Death Wish two as well. Hey, you know what? Boat, anyway. boat payments, Wade. Boat payments. Absolutely. And speaking of, let's. Uh, you know, let, why don't we roll through some television? Mark, I love it. You good? We we'll roll through some TV. Uh, first up, we we just had some Golden Globes, and there were a whole bunch of them heaped on Game Change, which, as a book, is not exclusively about uh, Sarah Palin, but that seems to be the focus of the movie. Julianne Moore, of course, winning the award for playing Sarah Palin, and uh, you know Ed Harris is uh, is John McCain. That was just strange casting, and anyway, um, but uh, you know what? I, I don't know. It's okay, Mark. Game change. Uh, you know what? I uh, Jay Roach has kind of uh, forged a new career directing these uh, HBO political comedies. Yeah, well, it's more reliable work. Boat payments. <laughs> yeah, it, but they all, but he also keeps getting rewarded for them. It, I mean, the thing is, it doesn't feel when you're talking about dramatizations of real life events or real life situations that we kind of like. You know, where you're you're putting us behind the window, right? We saw it all from this side. Now we're going to take you behind the scenes and give you the other side of it. There are things like The Social Network where you just go, wow, that's amazing. I never imagined that it could be so dramatic and so interesting. And then there's stuff like this where I felt like, It's well, a little light. You know what it is? It, it, yeah. It, it almost feels like everyone's playing dress up. Yeah, whereas, exactly. As opposed to Social Network, which is really trying to get to the bottom of it. Get to the meat of it. Yes. And yeah, you're right. It, it's a little bit like everyone's playing dress up, but it's, it's fine. It's, it's okay. Um, probably a little too soon, I would add as well. I, I don't know that uh, these things really... I mean, for example, you, your buddy J.J., literally, the day after the Oprah interview, announced that uh, he and Warner Brothers are, or I guess it was Warner Brothers, right? Or was it Paramount? His well, deal's at Paramount. His deal's at Paramount. His deal's at Paramount, so it must be Paramount. Um, that They were getting together on a, on a movie um, about the Lance Armstrong doping scandal. The day after the Oprah interview. Now, l- come on. Let the pop culture breathe a little bit, could you, please? Especially, maybe. you know, it, it's very hard to announce those things. Uh, maybe, he, maybe he wants the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the press hit. Yeah. But the thing is that now he's got to make the movie. And I'm sure that thing is years from being wow. made. Like, why even announce it? There's no casting. There's no script. I mean, what, I'm not sure what he you know, optioned. You did, announce did, it. Did, did so he option an article? I don't even know. Who knows? You, you announce it because you want to beat everyone else to the punch. Yeah, sure. You want everyone else to know. Don't even think about it because you don't need the rights to anything. It's a public domain story. So what you're basically saying is we're on this, and if anybody else, you know, we've already sprayed our territory. So anybody else thinks they're going to beat us to it, you got another thing coming, which is always dumb to do because there are a lot of other big hitters out there. I mean, right. it, was like, it was like the Steve Jobs bio thing. Now we're going to have two of them. Well, I don't like the idea that J.J. is squatting. He's yeah. basically squatting a news he story. He He's supposed to squatting a domain. He's That's squatting exactly a news it story. It's exactly what it is. And, uh, you know, they don't have a writer yet. They don't have anything. It's going to take years. Really, it doesn't make sense. And it'll probably wind up being some kind of a cable thing anyway. Yeah, I, I can't see that as being a the theatrical release. Well, anyway. All right, so Game Change. Yeah, it comes with a digital copy and a DVD as well, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I always enjoy. It now says on the little band across the top, Redeemed by 416-2015. So you've got only two years and a couple of months to get your... Uh, 
Your digital copy, uh, ultraviolet, redeemed. All right, wait, shut up. Yeah. So um, anyway, it's, on, okay. it's a Blu-ray. It's fine. I mean, whatever. It's, you know, special features are all pretty standard uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, the next is from HBO, Life's Too Short. This is another one of those uh, Ricky Gervais, uh, Stephen Merchant, self-deprecating uh, cameo-heavy comedies. Actually, I think the show, which is already done, it's over. I think this thing is uh, – I've reached the tipping point now where I can, like, sit there and think it's hilarious that Johnny Depp showed up for a cameo. Um, Warwick Davis, who's one of the more popular, famous uh, short – I don't know what they call them – short actors. Little, pe- little, little people. Actors, little actors. He's great. People. He's really – yeah, I mean, he, he, I mean, to me, Peter Dinklage is like – that guy will get nominated for an Oscar someday. He's great. Oh, he'll win he one is someday. Great. Yeah. Um, but Warwick Davis, he's been around for much longer. He was in, you know, uh, Willow, Willow and all those yeah. other films. Anyway, he plays a, a out-of-work actor. He's kind of a, a pathetic version of himself, and he's struggling, and he hooks up with Ricky and Steve, and they try to get him jobs. So, you know, Johnny Depp does some stuff, and uh, there's plenty of other cameos. I, you know, it, look, I'm not saying it's not funny. It is funny, but that Ricky Gervais' brand of humor, I think a little of that goes a long way. You know, when you think about the original Office, the reason why it's so beloved is because it didn't go 17 seasons. There were like six episodes of The Office, like 12 episodes of The Office. I know. That's it. Yeah. So a little of Ricky Gervais's humor, which I love, does go a long way. So I think at this point, life's too short. I've reached the point where like, you know what? Go do something else. Yeah, I hear you. Men of a Certain Age, the complete second season. This is another one of those midlife crises shows that are that are on TV. What's the one uh, with the, with the guys where they're dads, the, the the and they got the baby carriers and all that stuff. Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of these that have been around forever. This is uh you know this is the latest incarnation of this latest wave of them. Uh, the midlife crisis shows. What is it when you're a man and you're you're trying to deal with family and kids and marriages that are getting old and trying to keep your health and keep your looks and all yada, 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 yada. Well, whatever. Um, I find the show itself a little bit um, a little bit annoying at this point, although it's a really good cast. Ray Romano playing it pretty straight, to be honest. I mean, not, you know, he's he's got dr- dramatic chops. And then, of course, Andre Brower is always brilliant. And Scott Bakula is just Mr. TV. That guy just, he literally walks into whatever he does, and he does the exact same performance, and somehow it always works, right? And somehow, like, the older he's gotten, the more handsome he's gotten. Yeah. He hasn't, like, all chubbied up or anything. No. He's still a starship captain. Uh, that's lame. You know what? That, that 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 stuff is not canon to me. That's not canon. The one with the woman. No, the one with the woman is not. Captain is not canon. That, that show is lame. It's Deep Space canon. Nine is not. There's only two shows: original and Next Generation. Listen to you declaring heresy. Yes. My goodness, Pope Kaiser. Uh, so anyway, the uh, you know the show's fine. It's uh, you know got some featurettes on it and a gag reel and audio commentary for uh, all the episodes. So it's it's fine. If you like the show, you like the show. If you don't, you don't. Uh, wait on uh, Blu-ray is uh, the third season of Justified. I don't know how this thing has lasted almost four over four seasons. It's really bizarre. Anyway, uh, Timothy Oliphant stars as a uh, the guy's a he's got like an old school marshal, and uh, he goes from Miami to his uh, hometown in Eastern Kentucky, where he uh, dispenses his own particular brand of justice. Wade, don't you understand? Yeah, you know, justice. The show's actually pretty cool. I think this is a decent show. Really? Yeah, I do. I actually think it's a cool show. I mean, I, I I haven't seen enough of it to sort of formulate a really firm opinion, but I think it's I think it's a pretty cool show. It is a cool show. It's got some style, and all of, I, I like him. I, I really do. He's I, one I do of those. Too. You know, he's got a real. I don't want to say John Wayne quality to him or Gary Gr- uh, or Gary Cooper, but there's a. 
you know, there's there's something. There's that there's that thing, you know, where he he it's Steve he looks McQueen. Very, he, it's more a Steve yes. McQueen thing, right? It's more of a McQueen thing. He's like kind of handsome and rugged and looks a little bit worn, which is kind of nice. But you know what the thing? But he with, knows how to dial it back. Yes. Yeah, I like that. And the thing with uh, Justify is that even it's, East, it's, Eastwood. Okay. Really? Never mind. Carry on. Did, will you answer your phone? Don't stop the recording. Wade, what has stopped the show as Wade answers his phone? Wade, answer your phone. Oh, you sucker. You put it on. You send it to voicemail. All right. Anyway, uh, the great thing about Justified, uh, which really kind of, which really helped it out in the early goings, not so much now. What are you doing? Just so that we don't get inter- interrupted again. It, it, it should not have interrupted the first time. Unbelievable. This has happened to me, you know, in, in like more formal recording scenarios, too. Like, I, I literally have been doing film week. I mean, you're here live, KPCC, public radio, NPR, and suddenly I'm looking, my phone goes off. It's like, who, who does not know that right now I am, I'm sharing my opinion about important things with thousands and thousands of people? Well, who does not turn, know this? Turn your phone off. Yeah, but who would be calling me while I'm on film week? Turn Seriously. your phone off. You have no uh. control over them. You have control over yourself. Yeah. What is that? Ugh, wait. Don't stop the recording. This is your, this is your Done. embarrassing Done. moment. Anyway, uh, Justified, uh, it's, it's kept the quality up pretty well, even though, uh, even though uh, I, again, I haven't seen every episode, but uh, the early goings were better because a lot of the scripts and storylines were more based on the original material, which was written by Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard had written, a, actually, this, it's kind of based on a, on, a, on a couple of different Elmore Leonard uh, properties, including Fire in the Hole, one of his short stories, or his novellas. And uh, the early goings were better for me, but still, people kind of like this show, and uh, it's totally cool. Justified, Timothy, all the fan, complete third season. Looks good. There's some outtakes, deleted scenes. There's some commentaries. There's a making of. But still, it's, uh, you know, if you want, like, an old-school lawman in, uh, in 2000, in the 21st century, Justified. I'm, I'm with you. I hear it. All right. And, uh, Mark, we got some old school TV right here. You're going to love this. Do you remember the series Korg, 70,000 BC? Do you remember this series? I kind of do. What, what, was that Hanna-Barbera? Hanna-Barbera? No, like it's a live like, action Hanna-Barbera or something, wasn't it? I don't remember. I, I don't, I don't remember no? Hanna-Barbera did it, but I, I mean, the show itself is hysterically bad. It is truly hysterically awful, and uh, it didn't last very long. Um, you're, you know, you know, you're right. It is Hanna-Barbera. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good mm-hmm. call there. Good call. Mark's oh, on yeah. top of it. Yeah, it was a live action uh, Hanna-Barbera. Anyway, it basically, it's just, it's a, it's a caveman TV series and it's just dreadful. But it's dreadful on a level that makes it fun like you can't even believe. Um, it's, it's just a, it's like, the, it's almost like um, Land of the Lost with uh, shot on location, not sound stages and on film. And uh, except there's nobody contemporary, it's just cave people. They're, they're sort of trying to give you a family drama, cave style, and uh, they really try to you know play this up. A lot of the press materials talk about how they had all these consultants and people who were really an- you know expert anthro- anthropologists, and they uh, worked for these museums and all this, and they consulted to really make sure that it was it was you know like a Quest for Fire, the TV series. No, sorry, doesn't work, not at all. Anyway, this thing is um, this thing is really kind of just a bizarre artifact, but it's fun and funny, and uh, it comes to us from the Warner Archive collection. So you can go to warnerarchive.com and check it out. Um, but you know, it, it you can watch it in about a half a day. The whole series, it uh, understandably did not last long because uh, you know when your cast looks like that, people yeah, are, people, not, uh, people aren't going to tune in on a regular basis. It's not exactly not, exa- not exactly Downton Abbey, right? That's correct. Downton uh, Downton Cave. 
Oh, Wade. Uh, the Good Family is a Mike Judge show that didn't last very long. Now, Mike Judge, as you know, is the creator of Beavis and Butthead and the uh, director of the uh, the o- completely overlooked, unless you're a total cult geek, Idiocracy. Love that movie. <laughs> Ow, my balls. He's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Anyway, The Good Family is, uh, you know what the thing with The Good Family is that it had a great idea, which might have actually worked better as a film, not really necessarily as a show. It's animated, and it is, it's about a family who was like, they are like so environmentally conscious that like their dog is vegan and sweet. That's the idea of it. And you know, uh, judge does great satirical stuff like an office space when it comes to, you know, office politics and obviously an idiocracy, but here it didn't really work as well. I don't know that this is really necessarily a TV show. I think it could have worked better as a movie, but there is some funny stuff in it. He does poke fun at the whole environmental cause and whatnot. Um, it's got a good uh, voice cast, including uh, Mike Judge, who does a lot of voices on his shows, obviously. Nancy Carell, Linda Cardellini's in it, Brian Doyle Murray's in it, Bob Odenkirk. Oh, my gosh, Brian Doyle Murray looks so old these days. I know. He's, so, it's, he's Bill Murray's younger brother, <laughs> for crying out loud. He was on Saturday Night Live with yeah, Eddie but, Murphy and Joe Piscopo and all the rest of them, so they still look good. Yeah, but Brian Doyle Murray has less reason to look good. The guy's never hired. He's never on TV. He's got yeah. no reason to keep his looks up. Just go gosh. to pot. No one's going to hire you. Man. Anyway, The Good Family, his thing, it's a good rental. If you like Mike Judge you, and you passed on the show, I would give it a rental. But uh, only if you know what you're getting would I, uh, would I go ahead and buy The Good Family. And wait, I'm not going to clear my throat. You ready? Uh, that's fine. We're, this is a rough show. It really is. This, is, it? this is raw. This is raw. There, Do it. <clears throat> there you go. Beautiful. There's no polish today. <laughs> Hell with it. Uh, you know what? There's, a, there's a, an amazing drama that goes behind the next title that I'm going to talk about. And I want to just take a little bit of time to sort of share a pet peeve, which is I'm sick and tired of TV series being short, and their fans being shortchanged by fickle distributors. You remember how long it took? Mary Tyler Moore Show, case in point. They came out with uh, like a season or two, and then it was a years, right? It was years I before they come out with more seasons. And I, I don't think they still haven't finished the entire run of the show. And then uh, you have like uh, it, it, one of the Gary Shandling shows. They came out with like a season or two, and then it went like five years, and then they come out with another one. It's insane. They've got to stop this. Either come out with the whole series or, and don't do not do this like piecemeal thing where you, well, let's see if it sticks. And if not enough people buy season one and two, then we're not even going to do the whole run. It's really lame. Well, you they know, they just did that yourself. recently with uh, All in the Family. With All in the Family, they, a couple weeks ago, they released exactly. the entire series. Exactly. Finally. Yes. Just get it out there. Uh, third season of My Favorite Martian. This is the season three collector's edition from MPI. The the whole history of this is really amazing. Um Back in 2000 and 2001, Rhino had the rights to My Favorite Martian, and they released these collections, right? They weren't season sets. They just had a few episodes, select episodes, and that's been back when everybody, nobody thought you could actually make money with entire seasons of TV shows. So we're just going to put together a few episodes, and people will buy them just as a novelty. And then around about 2004 and 2005... Early 2005, it was like March of, or uh, no, it was, it was May of 2005, they came out with uh, seasons one and two from Rhino. And they didn't hit. They still didn't sell enough. And Rhino basically gave up on it. And then there was some kind of a novelty company that uh, a few years ago came out with uh, season three. It didn't sell well. And here we are finally eight years later. MPI, bravo MPI, steps up to the plate and they release season three of My Favorite Martian. After eight years, I can finally see season three again after season two. And you know what? After eight years, Martin looks pretty good. Uh, you know what? This is a great show. The, a lot of these shows at the, at the time had a, kind of the same formula, the same motif. 
that would include not just uh, I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched, but My Favorite Martian and uh, Ghost and Mrs. Muir. And they all had that. And there's a few others that, that fit that model. But they, they're all about the same thing, which is somebody has powers. Somebody's got something to hide, whether it's a ghost or a Martian or a witch or a genie. And uh, so they, they, they keep the secret. And there's always a Snoopy neighbor, a nosy neighbor, a Mrs. Kravitz or, you know, or Charles Nelson Riley in The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. And, uh, you know, all of those elements are right here. It is absolutely wonderful. And uh, in, in this case, it's, you know, Lorelai Brown. Uh, Mrs. Brown, their landlady, she's just always bringing up cookies. Unbelievable. It's awesome. I love this show. Absolutely love this show. Uh, Ray Walston is fantastic. Bill Bixby is fantastic. Both of them have done great work in other things. You know, I mean, for a certain generation, Ray Walston is, was a movie actor. You know, he did sure. things like... Uh, Gosh, huge movies like uh, Star Wars. No, uh, uh, the the. I'm not the helping South you out. Pacific, I'm not South helping Pacific. you out today. South Pacific. I love South Pacific. See, I knew I was going to get you with that one. Uh, anyway, so lots of special features on here. The transfer is is exceptional. It's better than what Rhino did on uh, seasons one and two. So I'm hoping MPI goes back and re-releases those first two seasons uh, MPI style. It would be nice, and uh, hopefully we get more seasons out of this. So. Yeah, big applause for MPI. And lots of, there's behind-the-scenes home movies here, which are just such a cool, nostalgic treat. Uh, all the original uh, bumpers and commercials. Uh, there's uh, test footage that they shot. All this kind of really, really cool stuff. And including, get this, radio shows from 1964 and 65 where Lucille Ball actually interviews Bill Bixby and Ray Walston. How cool is that? That's that awesome. Is, that is cool. That is awesome. Bill Bixby, Bill Bixby was, uh, you know, he was like a fixture in the 70s. He was. He was the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, I know. So anyway, MPI has gone out big and bold, and they've done a really great season three collector's edition for My Favorite Martian. And uh, I love the fact that in the packaging, they even put the little in-color bug. Remember when everything in the 60s yeah. had to say in-color? Damn right. So that if you were watching it on a black and white TV, you'd think, damn, i got to go get me one of those new color TVs so I can see this in-color. Right. Batman in-color. Batman. Remember, there's always that. There's a there's a show that needs to be out. Damn it! I know, it know, Batman is not out. Gosh, it so upsets me. That's bizarre. Uh, all right. Anyway, second season of uh, Being Human. This is one of those shows where when it, when when you when you read like the log line, you think it's a joke, but actually it's serious. It's about a, a vampire and a uh, 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 werewolf and Ugh. a ghost sharing an apartment. <laughs> it sounds like a sitcom. But it's not. It's a serious show, and this is season two of it. You know, I, you know what's funny is that it's, it, there are all these handsome twenty somethings and whatever. You know what people? It's funny, like werewolves, vampires. It's all just a metaphor for like growing up and 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 and, and whatever, and finding yeah. your identity. And it's like this show thinks it's so unique because in this show, being a vampire, a ghost, or werewolf is actually a metaphor for growing up and finding your identity. Oh, that's really unique. No, no, that's what they all are. That's what Breaking Dawn is or with the Twilight movies. They're all like that. So just stop it. Based on a British show. Show's stupid. Yeah, I know. Anyway, this thing though, this thing keeps going, though. It's uh, another season, but just started. Anyway, Being Human, uh, you know, it's pretty well shot. Looks fine. Uh, a couple of uh, bonus featurettes, although not that much. But still, if you like it, uh, you're crazy. You know, Mark, what else? What also won uh, the big of the Golden Globes was Girls. We have the complete first season here, Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy, another HBO series. I 
Look, I'm. Should we talk about how disappointed we are in um, in Lena Dunham? Yes, because we agree. we were the ones. We we gave her our new generation award for tiny furniture and thinking uh, that she wow here's a great new voice in cinema in cinema and films and she winds up basically becoming uh, just kind of a hacky sitcom queen. And yeah, it's an HBO show, and it's got a certain panache, and it's it feels like somebody wanted to do you know a, a younger, more youthful kind of. Um, Way edgier Sex in the City. Se- well, like sex- a real Sex in the City. But it's like Sex in the City in their twenties and a little bit of Friends at the same time. You know, it's somewhere between Sex in the City and Friends, and it's sexy, and they're they're girls, and they're in New York, and they they're trying to get on with their lives and whatever. I, you know, I don't get it. I mean, I don't get it at all. It's I know it's been big so. Wait, do you get it? Big with the Emmys and the Golden Globes, but I just I'm so disappointed. In Lena Dunham. She's kind of becoming this caricature. She's like becoming a sitcom caricature, and I don't, it's I know. like, come on. And you know what? Don't she's, be that person. You know what? And part of her appeal is the idea that she's a little frumpy, a little, a little quirky. overweight, not a little quirky. Yeah. But you know what? I think that no. that little shtick is going to It's going to wear thin very quickly. Thin. Do something else. So anyway, uh, a lot of features on here, a lot of extras, uh, all of them, I, you know, it's all all Blu-ray, all original uh, high def stuff. Even though you got the uh, there's a DVD on here as well. Uh, yeah, there's extended scenes and making of stuff. Uh, there's a conversation with Lena Dunham and Judd Apatow because you know he had to go throw his two bits into this thing as well. Although it doesn't feel as Apatowy as it does Dunamy. Would you agree? I would, and you know yeah. what? I'm actually fine with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. I think I think his he just probably lent his name on some level just to get the thing done, uh, or to get the thing Dunham. As it were, what? Uh, audio commentaries on five episodes, and then they Lena Dunham uh, interview on Fresh Air, which of course is a PB uh, an NPR show on Fresh Air. Yeah, yeah, I hear that all the time because I'm always out at the station whenever they're airing it. Anyway, uh, so there it is. <laughs> There's a funny scene in Family Guy. I'll show you hate for some reason. There's a funny scene in Family Guy where uh, this uh, this uh, family. This, this woman, she's leaving to go to work for the day, mm-hmm. and when she leaves for work, she she turns on the radio so that her dog has some you know oral company. Oh, just of course. To it. So the the woman turns on the radio. It's it's NPR, and then she leaves the house, and so mm-hmm. you hear that the dog is at the front door, you know, and the the woman has just left, and on the radio you hear this is Terry Gross with <laughs> NPR, and the dog starts clawing at the front door <laughs> to get out, and he starts clawing more frantically, and it's like his paws start bleeding and falling off because he can't get out of the house, and Terry Gross is going and. This is NPR. Today, we'll be talking about... Oh, it's too damn funny. All right, speaking of too damn funny, here's something that's not too damn funny, which is episodes. And uh, this show is so poorly received that Showtime has put, um, or CBS DVD has put uh, uh, seasons one and two on the same DVD set. By the way, may I also emphasize DVD? Yes. That's how this show is not doing very well. Because you know what? I I think this is another one of those tipping point shows where you're like, "Can, can Hollywood producers create anything anything other than shows about being Hollywood producers and actors and writers Apparently and Apparently not, no. I really, I guess not. Yeah. I mean, you know, here, this is with, with Matt LeBlanc. The show is about this British sitcom couple and they, they, they go to Hollywood to remake their British series for American TV and the network makes a lot of changes. They wind up casting Matt LeBlanc as the lead role. So Matt LeBlanc kind of plays Matt LeBlanc. And, uh, you know, look, I'm not saying there's no insight in here and some good funny in-jokes, but in the end, I just think I just want to – I'm just over this sort of material. I just can't take it anymore. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I no – but they, they really crap this out. Again, it's on, it's on uh, DVD, not Blu-ray. There's no special features really. So uh, I, I would pass on episodes. 
We've got the first season of the new Dallas. And uh, how do you differentiate between the complete first season of Dallas versus the complete first season of Dallas? You don't. It's not Dallas 2 or Dallas the ongoing journey or Dallas the next generation. It's just Dallas all over again. So uh, I don't know if we would call this the complete first season. This would be like the complete, I don't know, when did it end? Eight, nine seasons. So this would be like the complete tenth season is what it really should be. Ooh, because it's a continuation of the series. Of course it is. So they shouldn't be calling this the first season of Dallas. They should call it Dallas the tenth season, you know, 30 years later. Or they should call it Dallas the new generation. But don't call it the same thing. Come on. Well, because well, because they don't want to risk alienating younger audiences blah, who blah, think, blah, wow, blah, I'm blah, supposed blah. to like something my parents liked? I can't yeah. watch this. Lame. Well, anyway, uh, as we all know, Larry Hagman has since passed away. So he's not around to actually uh, participate in, uh, in the glory surrounding this, uh, this reboot. I don't know how long this will last. It's actually pretty juicy. It's a good show. It's trashy in all the great ways that the original was trashy and actually higher production value, believe it or not. Um, Larry Hagman, you know, is not in a lot of it because he's clearly not in good health. He's hobbling around, but he's in enough of it to dominate it, which is what's fascinating. If you count up his minutes of appearance in in these episodes, it's not much, but he's just, you wait for him. You just sit there and you watch the show and you wait for him because he brings so much energy and so much evil and venom and JR still lives, at least uh, in this first season. And, of course, you also have uh, Linda Gray came back and Patrick Duffy came back. And the whole idea now is that they have grown sons who are carrying on their uh, their parents' respective legacies. And, of course, Bobby's son is the good guy and J.R.'s son is the ruthless guy and, you know, on and on and on. And the, and the biggest thing for me is that Victoria Principal is not in the show, and I'm really disappointed by that. But uh, it's okay. So you got a bunch of special features. They're all featurettes and, you know, standard EPK type stuff, a, a commentary on the pilot and some deleted scenes that are negligible. But otherwise, it's a, it's a very decent DVD first season for Dallas. If you are a fan, it's really a, a great continuation of the show. And uh, then also we've got Ghost Hunters Academy, which is a sci-fi series that uh, I was only nominally aware of. And uh, this is from Image, and it's, I guess it's fine. Um, it's a spinoff from Ghost Hunters and uh, essentially kind of the same general thing. This is about, uh, you know, uh, college graduates getting into, uh, you know, uh, ghost hunting, basically. <laughs> I mean, what else do you want? It's, it's what it is. It, it, you know, it's the same type deal. You're just, you're just looking for ghosts. It's just, you know, it, it's all kind of trumped up, too. It's sort of silly. But um, if you like Ghost Hunters, I guess you'll love Ghost Hunters Academy. Um I don't know why they had to do a spinoff show. It's essentially the same type deal. It's just different people. It's kind of silly. Uh, Wade. Here's the thing. Yes, sir. Uh, NBC put a lot of uh, put a lot of their uh, heart and soul into Smash. Oh my gosh, this show! It's it, which it's is not, a... it's not delivering. It, it got it pulled huge ratings for its pilot, and then it just dropped off a cliff. Well, because you know what, there was something very mercenary about it where. It's like let's do a show where the whole idea is that you create another show, which we de- which we then can sell the soundtrack for, and we can then go on Broadway and do. It's just you, I know you, you you can't just have a show anymore. It's now it ha- now it's be like a vertically integrated horizontal three tiered marketing mm-hmm. platform play. You know what I mean? Yeah, I it can't know. just be a show. It just seemed very mercenary to me, but it's very well shot and it's got a great cast, including uh, Angelica Houston. So you got to love that. Um, 
And so, you know, it's not a bad show, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. So the first season was about a, uh, a Broadway musical about Marilyn Monroe. And it's just it's just lame. You know, it's like yeah. if it's about Marilyn Monroe, then older people will watch it. But it stars uh, the woman from uh, American Idol, whatever that show was, or whatever, whatever she won, American Idol, Catherine McPhee. So young people will watch it. It's an unbelievable well, just, you know what, just shut up. Yeah. Everybody shut up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there is some stuff that's uh, pretty entertaining, very well, you know, very well shot, lots of big music numbers, you know, lots of drama. I just think that this thing is just shoving itself down America's throat and just stop it. Just go away. Even Steven Spielberg, who really has not been front and center in terms of the marketing of this thing, he just, it's just another, you know, universal, you know, whatever product that Spielberg puts his name on. Uh, it's just not great. It's just not great. Spielberg has to stop putting his name on everything. That's all I, I can know. Say. Yeah, and and not a good move. My, as long as we're on the subject, not a good move. That literally within twenty four hours of having Oscars and Oscar glory heaped on your very legitimate and uh, very patrician film work, Lincoln. Not a good move to then say, oh, and by the way, I'm going to uh, executive produce and Godfather uh, Jurassic Park four in three D. I mean, you know, talk about letting the air out of the room. Oh, gee, thanks. I know he, he really come he, on. He he should Bad timing. He, he should not be encouraged to do that. I mean, like all he's really doing is just protecting the uh, the, the the theme park ride. Yeah, who cares? All right. So also, uh, we have on uh, D, uh, on DVD, not Blu-ray, is uh, Dance Moms. Now, Dance Moms is a reality show about uh, you know uh, dancing this, moms, this dance company <laughs> where all the dance girls are between like six and thirteen, and I don't know why they decided to release this in in, in volumes. Because we have season two, kind volume one, in one disc, and season two, volume two, in, on, on, on another disc. I, I don't understand. What's the point? Is this thing that popular? No. Stop that. <laughs> God damn it. TV sucks. Uh, anyway, this is just another one of those just stupid reality show circuses where some lady pretends like she's a hard ass and, and she's freaking out the moms and making the kids cry. And it's just horrible. It's just, all this stuff is just such manufactured dreck. Anyway. Well, you know what? You know what's not bad. Enlightened, a uh, complete first season from uh, also from HBO. The uh, the new season has begun, so this is a big promotion for the new season as well to release this onto Blu-ray. And uh, this is the Laura Dern show, which she co-created and which also features her real life mom, Diane Ladd, playing her on TV mom. And uh, it's kind of like a, a weird, slightly tweaked version of uh, Eat, Drink, Pray, Love, Sleep, Dog, Magenta. For television, whatever that movie was called, Eat, Pray, Love, uh, Magenta. You like Magenta? It was a little non sequitur. I'm not sure how that got there, but yeah, all right. Not you you made you made it work. Thank you. Not uh, anyway. The complete first season of Enlightened. Uh, you know, she uh, she melted down. She just couldn't handle her whole uh, life pressure stress thing, and she went into this new agey kind of recovery. And she comes out a new person, and she's going to change everyone and the world around her. Uh, Luke Wilson, not bad as her her uh, ex husband. Uh, Laura Dern is terrific in this show. It's just quirky enough. She wrote a, a great part for herself, and it's it's fun. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where the show goes. I'm not sure that there's uh, enough direction to sustain it for a few years, but HBO doesn't seem to care about that. They they're they're okay with shows that last three, maybe four years, and then do something else. So I, I kind of like the model. I think this might be uh, might be something that'll fly for a few years. So I, I'm curious to see where it goes. And then we also have Anger Management Season One, Charlie Sheen, the show that nobody actually thought would ever happen. Because after the whole two-and-a-half-men fiasco and his very public crazy meltdown for a month and a half, I mean, let's not forget, that was a, a wild six-week ride. 
That was awesome. That was really a wild six-week ride. His live show that was a complete catastrophe. His weird little little live web things. Yeah. People saying he's going to die. Tiger blood. It's, it's just, it, just, it was way overboard. And um, he leaves the show, and everybody thought it's all over. And then suddenly now he's making, it's like more money than he made on Two and a Half Men to do anger management. Well, that thing it's is weird. Well, that thing just got a uh, an unprecedented 90-episode back order. I know. It's nuts. But the thing is that, oh, look, here's the thing. It, and it's an FX show. We should say it's on FX, and it just started its new season. And, uh, you know. Look, the whole 90 order, the whole 90 back order thing is not, is really not necessarily a, uh, it's it's not a thumbs up as to how great the show is or how popular it is. Yeah, they can if if, if they can bang out ninety episodes in a couple of years for free, like just dirt cheap. They will have so much programming that they can then sell True. overseas, and they can syndicate out. So it's not even a function of ninety episodes that are going to be good. It's ninety episodes that can be fast and cheap. Well, and and the show is fast and cheap. I mean, it's not it's not two and a half men by any means. It's uh it, it's okay. It's fairly routine sitcom stuff and the funny thing is those 90 those 90 backstopped episodes were were greenlit based on only a 10 episode mid-season replacement first season i mean this first season that i have here in blu-ray is only 10 episodes you know it's it's not it's not a lot on which to say we love how those 10 episodes did let's just blow it out with 90 usually you just make a second order and you know order another season so I don't it's, know. Very it's, interesting. It's a total finance deal. Yeah, it is. It has nothing to do with the quality of the show. Anyway, it uh, you know it's it's Blu-ray of a sitcom. What do you want? It's it's fine. It's not going to you know win any awards for uh, from a beauty competition. But uh, you've got some gags and uh, you know an interview with Charlie, and that's that's it. So you know if you if you're into it, fine. Uh, it's it's okay. I don't see anything special about it. All right. Um, do we have movies. Are yes, we, just we do. Talk about TV the whole why, time. No, why don't we do? Why don't we? Yeah, no, we got. We, do we have a Vox Box? We have letters. I was just going to say Vox Box. We got. We, <gasps> have yes. we have a Vox Box. We have a Vox Box. I can sing the song. Yes. Let's sing it now. Do it now. It's Vox Box. Hey, Wade and Mark. It's Lance, the one and only, and thank God for that. So I'm listening to an interview. Um, of Lana Del Rey, who's a, uh, a singer, who's really cool, by the way. I dig her, totally. But um, the interviewer is talking about, um, well, they brought up Sissy Spacek, as we know her, Sissy Spacek. And the interviewer called her Sissy Spachek. And that got me thinking, you know, there are certain actors that we know uh, that, you know, their names are pronounced a certain way, but in Europe, their names might be uh, pronounced a totally different way. And have you encountered any situations where you've discussed an actor or even met an actor and they're referred to or their name is pronounced a different way? Now, I know this sounds like a lame question, but, you know, I'm listening to this interview, and the, and the guy goes, he's talking about Sissy Spachek, and I'm like, who the hell is he talking about? And it dawned on me, oh, of course, Carrie. Carrie herself. So, anyway, yeah, what do you think? You got anything for me? Lance Taylor, awesome question. And, um, I, you know, it's totally true, because people mispronounce their own family names at a certain point when you come over here. They they just you, you Americanize it right, 
I'm I mean, sorry, SpaceX is SpaceX. That's yeah. her name. But but let me tell you, let me tell you, you know our good friend Ziggy over at Block Corn Broad, our mm. good publicist friend Ziggy. Yes. Right? Ziggy, who who is who is Polish of a of Polish extraction, right? He's yes. you know True. and Ziggy never misses a chance to correct me in how I'm mispronouncing Polish names. For example, for example, the Wachowskis, right? We call them the Wachowskis. No. The Vahovskis. <laughs> Seriously. He says it's pronounced Vahovsky, right? But they don't pronounce it Wachowski. No, they pronounce it Wachowski, but, but it's Vahovsky. Also, some people do it on purpose just to sound all kind of hoity-toity. Ray Fiennes, for example, it's not, not Ray Fiennes. His brother, Joseph, was on a television interview and insisted, no, my name's not Joseph Fiennes, it's Joseph Fiennes. And he looked right into the camera and said, got that, Ralph? <laughs> which is which is hysterical. It was like you, you revealed this, you know, this family thing. All of a sudden, it would Rafe Fines. You want to have like a, you know, make it sound all distinguished. No, his name's Ralph Fiennes. Well, well, uh, wait. So his real name is Fiennes. Fiennes. That's how you pronounce it. Okay, it's Fiennes. And I was I was in line once with a woman. I've never had an actor like, to to specifically to Lance's question. I've never had an actor say, "No, you're mispronouncing my name." And, uh, you know, like, like Charlize Theron is one who always gets it both ways, Charlize Theron or Charlize Theron. Uh, you know, you, we, we get caught up sometimes in where you put the accent on some of them. But I, I did have a woman once behind me in line at uh, the market somewhere. I was talking about uh, Steven Seagal. And she goes, yeah, I went to school with him. We were in elementary school together. He was little Stevie Seagal back then. So there you go. It's the same. It's the same with Stephen Colbert. I mean, there's a uh, there's yeah. a, there's a uh, story about how how Stephen Colbert yeah. had decided to come to L.A. after yeah. years in Chicago studying comedy, and it dawned on him that he if he became Stephen Colbert, <laughs> it would just become more of a thing, more of a name. It's be, true. He would stand out in a crowd as opposed to being Stephen Colbert. Yeah, and that's, that's what true. he did. That's it. And then he never went anywhere with his career. And of course, that's that's a, it's a, it's a much it's a more interesting subset of the issue of people who actually just straight up change their names as opposed to just changing the pronunciation which you know everybody I mean, like Kirk Doug- like does Kirk Douglas really want to be known as what what's his name he's got some ridiculous name you it should is. look that up Kirk Douglas's real name is something ridiculous it, well Mel Brooks is Melvin Kaminsky um, Marion Morrison, yeah, and how it, lame is that? Albert Brooks is actually Albert Einstein, right? Yeah, he, well, because his father was a comedian and had a sense of humor. And I mean, he called Gene, him Albert. Gene Wilder is Eugene Velichinsky, you know. So most of them are Jewish names and very Eastern European, and they came and they changed them to things. But you know, oddly enough, Schwarzenegger didn't change his name, and it worked out fine for him. Uh, you know what? And they Ab- wanted him to. They wanted him to. But after a while, if, if you become popular enough, people must learn your name, and True. that is a sense of power, by the way. Yeah. You know, like Schwarzenegger's like, I'm going to be so big, they'll have to learn my name, God damn it. Yeah, because it, it, it's, it's the perfect length to put on the side of a bus. I used to always say that. The great <laughs> thing about Schwarzenegger is, once you know it, it just spans the length of the bus. It does. <laughs> Not Jude Law. No. <laughs> Law doesn't do that. No, no, no. All right. So uh, thank you, Lance. And it, it, we invite everyone to send us more Vox boxes. Send them to gods at digigods.com. Send us uh, listener mail to gods at digigods.com. And what also is really needed right now at gods at digigods.com are more new show intros. We are, uh, we've received a few. Not enough. We need more. So cook up some cool show intros for us. We've got about another month and a half of them. And then we're going to be sitting down with, uh, with Corey and banging out a whole bunch of new intros and uh, putting, making you all famous. And 
a lot of you have your own podcasts and your own websites, and we would invite you, by all means, plug those things. Um, go ahead and plug them in the uh, you know in in your email to us. Always include your full name as you want it to be read, and uh, tell us also in the email when you send us the uh, the new show intros what you uh, what would you like for Corey to plug uh, as far as your show, your your podcast or your uh, your website, whatever it is, and we'll do it. Gods at Digigods um, We're going to talk about some new movies now, Mark. I got I, I have a uh, I have a connection to this movie, and I'm not going to go into any great detail as to what it is. It's called Branded. I actually saw this thing rather extensively before it was released. And, um, boy, I'll tell you, this is a weird-ass movie. This is an American-Russian co-production, all shot in England, with uh, people that would otherwise probably not be caught dead anywhere near a movie like this, like uh, Jeffrey Tambor and um, the great Max von Sydow in a rather small part. And um, here's the idea here behind Branded. It's a heavy, it's a very special effects-laden movie about a guy who develops essentially the capacity to see the weird, otherworldly alien forces that underlie all advertising and how it, uh, it infects our brains. And it's like, you know, it's like this weird, otherworldly virus that no one can see. It's almost like a ghost movie. It's a weird sci-fi-ish kind of thing. It doesn't really work. Um, well, the way you explain it, it sounds so fantastic. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's one of those near future deals, and it's meant to be, be a rather uh, you know hammer on your head lesson about advertising and marketing and how we're really under the control of all of these things. But uh, I don't know that it really works. It's just it's sort of a an undercooked, overthought concept movie with lots of CGI. You know, interesting uh, interesting for novelty fans, but uh, I don't know how entertaining it is. Uh, speaking of not entertaining, The Inbetweeners uh, movie. Now, The Inbetweeners is a, a British show that was on between 2008 and 2010. And uh, the cast, uh, they have now gone the big screen and they have given us The Inbetweeners movie, which is sort of like an American pie-ish kind of a thing, I guess. It's uh, these four high schoolish kids and they're going to Crete to uh, get drunk and get laid. And oh, we've whole, never seen that before. I know. Well, the whole idea is that there's a whole lot of, you know, scatological humor and references to, you know, whatever, getting drunk and getting laid and all that sort of stuff. And I just, I just, what is this giving me that I haven't seen 175,000 times before? It gives me nothing. Except it does feature a guy named Simon Bird. And really, that's got to mean something. Nice. Anyway, it's a piece of junk. All right. Uh, you know what? One of the movies that I thought was incredibly underrated last year, and it, it had a little bit of heat during award season, uh, but never really kind of capitalized it into anything, End of Watch, Mark. I, I like End of Watch, even though it uses that found footage device that it doesn't need to. Um, I actually thought that there's a, there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. This is written and directed by David Ayer, who has made a career out of doing movies that are all predicated on the, the LAPD uh, starting with Training Day. And uh, this may be the most interesting of all of them because it's not about, like, conspiracies and crooked cops and who's hiding what. It really is, like, a really gritty uh, day in the life of a couple of beat cops in L.A. It's like Adam-12 elevated to a much more realistic level. The only thing that detracts from it is the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal, who co-stars in it with the amazing Michael Pena, um, Jake Gyllenhaal is, is taping the whole thing on his own little camcorder, which he puts on the dash and carries around with him. And it eventually deviates from that, uh, that, that whole found footage 
thing and all the rules that go with it. But it didn't need to do that. He could have shot this straight and still had the exact same movie. You didn't have to sort of know that Gyllenhaal's trying to capture his own life and all the events in it. It didn't need that. Yeah, but it's so of the moment. Wade. Yeah, but it didn't need that. It Really, it's a distraction more than anything else. Uh, but anyway, a lot of good featurettes here. A terrific commentary with Ayer. People shouldn't really bag on him for specializing in this, in this arena because, look, John Ford made westerns. This is basically what he's doing. He's making cop westerns in Los Angeles. And he knows more about it than anybody else. The authenticity is terrific. It's really well-directed. It's incredibly well-written. But most importantly, the acting in this movie is awesome. The scenes where they're just in the car together talking to each other feel so real, feel so spontaneous, you can't imagine that anyone scripted it or even rehearsed it. It's great. Ask me why I never saw this movie. Why'd you not see it? Uh, Because I missed the screening. So I waited until I got the uh, screener, Mm -hmm. right, for awards time. You know, people were saying uh, Richard Pena, whatever his Uh, name is. uh, Michael Pena. Michael Pena might be up for a laugh award maybe like wow looking forward to seeing this pop into the playstation 3 this doesn't work bummer well anyway this is a blu-ray dvd digital copy and ultraviolet combo set uh it's not going to be the most beautiful blu-ray you've ever seen it's not designed to be but it is uh it's you know it's awfully it's an awfully good movie uh i highly recommend it it might be more a rental for most people but uh really i'd watch this again i'd watch this again I'm, i'm happy to have this on the shelf uh, Wade, you're about to kill me because uh, there's a movie called The uh, Possession, which... Nine- if you tell me you like this, I swear I'm going to jump over there and I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... No, I, I, I can't say I liked it, but I will say that it is not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, this movie sort of... It, here's the thing. When you read the log line, you're like, this thing's going to be a piece of junk. This girl finds a wooden box at a yard sale, and the wooden box you know, is, uh, has uh, ancient spirits in it. And she winds up, uh, you know, being possessed by this evil force. And you're like, you got to be kidding me. Well, the movie is sort of like, um, remember The Exorcism of Emily Rose? Oh, yeah. A film that, that you have to admit, even though it ultimately wasn't great, it really did take a lot of time to kind of discuss the religious implications of what it was talking about. It wasn't just like a boo film. You know, it really kind of took a little bit of time, yeah, they, which they, I liked, which I kind of liked. Now, hang on. Uh, the Possession is sort of in that vein. It's, um, first of all, the uh, the parents are Jewish, which is always kind of interesting to me because me being of the uh, Semitic tribe, I like that kind of stuff. Uh, and some of it is pulpy. But you know what? They, they spend a decent amount of time with the parents, uh, played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Kira Sedgwick, uh, who are getting kind of getting divorced at the time or they're split up. And they really do kind of take, uh, take the characters more seriously than I would have imagined. So even though eventually it does sort of collapse under the weight of its pulpiness and stupidity, uh, it's better than I thought it was going to be, The See, Possession. I would not have named this movie The Possession. Yes. You know what I would have named this? Uh, Star Wars. Nine-tenths of the law. <laughs> Thank you. See? It took a moment, right? You no. got Well, it's... no, actually, that it, it, it didn't take a moment to know what you were talking about. It, it took a moment for me to figure out how I was going to make fun of that bad joke. <laughs> That's what took all the time, Wade. All right. Wade, now I want to talk about a uh, little ditty, Wade. It's little, it. I, I got a couple of poo movies over here that I'm going to jump all over in a moment, so I'll let you. We'll talk about a little ditty, Wade. It's a little ditty about Jack and Diane. Okay. You didn't get that joke, did you? Nah, yeah, I didn't. A little ditty not, about not, Jack and Diane. Not, carry on. Did John Mellencamp song? I know. I know. Two I kids get, doing the best they can? I know. I hear you. I didn't, I didn't bother watching this. I had a screener for it, and I didn't bother watching it. Really? Yeah. Did you get a screener for this? No. Oh, okay. Well, Actually, I think I did. There's a Blu-ray in your hand. Talk about it. Exactly. Uh, this film is not very good, but I will say that Juno Temple, she is great. I think 
she she's got an odd she's look awesome. to her. I love her. But she's if she picks the right stuff, she's gonna I have a great her. career. I think I she's agree. just terrific. She's the best thing in this thing. I mean, yes, it's about a bunch of uh, you know, uh, you know brooding teenagers who care only about themselves. But you know, most teenagers do care only about themselves. Um, so in that sense, I totally get it. But. Um, you know, I think this movie is not very good, but I would see it for Juno Temple. If you're into, like, it girls who are going to make it someday, you should see Jack and Diane only for Juno Temple. The special features include uh, pretty much nothing. Well, there's a trailer and there's a look at the making of it, but ultimately it's uh, the film's not that uh, that great. Bravo. Bravo. Uh, on DVD is a film called Fat Kid Rules the World, which is about a fat kid. Who rules the world. <laughs> it's not It's not a very good movie. This is directed by Matthew Lillard. Yeah. It's, it's you know, every actor seems to want to direct a uh, movie at some point. And Lillard uh, figured, well, you know, I've got a little bit of juice again. I, I vanished after Scooby-Doo, and uh, then I got a new lease on life with The Descendants. So maybe I'll go and I'll try my hand at directing a, you know, a kid's movie, a movie about kids, and see if I can uh, get a little bit of indie juice. And... It, it, he's not going to be directing anything, and he, again, again, and anytime soon, he's not going to be doing this. So. Well, he, I, I, I will give him credit because it's not a, to, at least to me, it wasn't a total, complete, and utter misfire. Um, it's based on a young adult novel, so at least you know there's something there, and some parts of it are endearing, parts that are really slow. Uh, it's definitely not uh, total stupidity, you know. But how many other movies like this have we seen? Yeah, about Is this. This seventeen-year-old kid. He's really he he. He's really unhappy, and he winds up meeting this. It's uh, a misfit movie. It's a misfit movie. Winds up meeting this punk rock drummer who try, try yeah, challenges yeah, yeah. his life, challenges him to change his life. It, it, it doesn't stand out in that genre, but uh, I mean, the kid's okay. You know, Jacob Wasaki or whatever his name is, he's fine. Uh, I got a couple of really just unbearably stupid movies right here. I don't know why the, whoever whoever went and saw the the reboot of Death Race. The, in sufficient numbers to justify not only a Death Race 2, but a Death Race 3 Inferno unrated. Also includes rated version. What? Why? This didn't even make it to theaters. Why is there a rated and an unrated version? I don't understand. This is a Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy, ultraviolet combo. Um, there's no one in here who, who, who you'd want to see. It's, I mean, Ving Rhames and Danny Trejo, they're in everything. This is not distinguished. Um, Luke Goss? Who's Luke Goss? Uh, you know, he's some kind of just B-level guy. The whole thing, it's just more of the same. It's horrible. Why, angry, angry Wade. Why Wade. did they do this? Why do this to me? Angry, angry Wade. Terrible. The only, the only thing that makes this different is that it's now in the desert. Oh, it's in the, it's in the Kalahari in South Africa. But big, look, it, it, big look, deal. It's the, all the same macho but, but explosion it, car crap. It's the same. It's the same reason why they do all those straight to DVD sequels. I mean, why would this be any different? But see, the original Death Race was campy. It understood it was it was poo. It understood it. Um, and speaking of yeah, it it, just, it camped it up. Speaking of poo, I got a Blu-ray here called Universal Soldier: Day of Reckoning, another series that never should have gotten this far. This is like the fifth one of these movies. And um, this is the first one for several movies that brings back Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. So Van Damme was, was back for a couple of these, and now Dolph Lundgren comes back. And um, so finally, for the first time since, like, the second one, I think it is, that they're together again in one of these things. And it doesn't really connect to the others very well. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. They're both really minor figures in it. Um, they, the, uh, the movie really centers much more around... Um, an entirely different character played by Scott Atkins and he's just another kickboxer 
And in this case, it's like he's, you know, some kind of universal soldier who doesn't remember that he's a universal soldier. And then there's clones and there's all this other crap that goes on. This thing was released in 3D. I didn't see it in 3D. I've watched it uh, on regular DVD and as much as I could tolerate on the Blu-ray. It's indistinguished uh, in both cases. And the worst part of this, Mark... All of this, like, old Universal soldiers are all plotting to take over the world crap with uh, with Van Damme as now their, their new demigod who's going to lead them in their conquest of the world, which makes absolutely no sense. The whole thing is like is like a, a, a half-cocked um, Apocalypse Now ripoff at the end with Van Damme actually being Kurtz to the point where he actually has Kurtz-like makeup on his face at the end. And these guys are in the jungle and they're worshipping him. And I almost expected Dennis Hopper to jump out and go, he's a genius. He's, he's, he's incredible. Is he a kind man? It's just horrible. This is just a dreadful movie, dreadfully made, directed by the guy who's done like three of these things now by the name of John Hyams. Mark? Who is that, Peter Hyams' son? It sure is. Really? He's far less talented than his father, and I don't know that that's... uh, that's kind of damning with less than faint praise. I don't know what you would call that. Anyway. Peter Himes has done. Peter Himes has done good movies. Yeah, not in like twenty years. Well, his, yes, his time is over. It oh. is true. Anyway, his son should not be making movies. This is just really, really bad stuff. So anyway, that's Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. Unless you really feel like you you needed more closure to this series, I did. Oh boy. You know, John Himes directed some episodes of NYPD Blue. Yeah, I know. Um, all right, Mark. We got some. Uh, we got a few few minutes left in the show, so let's do um, the time warp again. You know what? I want to. I want to make uh, this is. I've let this slide for a couple of weeks. I want to make uh, make mention of some uh, great new film movement titles. Film movement. I love the people at Film Movement. Uh, it's just such a great model. It's the, it's unique in the entire business. If you go to filmmovement.com, their movie of the month club is is like a little mini film festival in your mailbox every month. It really is. <laughs> it's a mini film festival in your a, pants. It, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for going there, Mr. Kaiser. Uh, no, this is this is really a terrific model for a business, and I love the film movement uh, approach. They go to festivals and they go to markets, and they really find interesting, cool little movies from all over the world, from the United States and other places, and they always include one or two short films, and it's always interesting stuff. Um, Small, Beautifully Moving Parts is a wonderful, quirky little American indie, only 73 minutes long, uh, from co-directors Annie J. Howell and Lisa Robinson. And uh, it's it's kind of a, you know, it's one of these uh, woman-finding-herself type movies, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, difficult, dealing with the odd, quirky difficulties of life. It's wonderful. Um, it's called A Coming-of-Age Parenthood Tale for the Internet Age. I won't tell you exactly why that uh, applies to the film, because there are certain things you shouldn't really know going in. But it's a nice, cool, refreshing, and insightful little movie that also includes a couple of... Uh, Short films done previously by the, the two directors, one by Lisa Robinson called Headstand and another one by Annie J. Howell called The Failure of Pamela Salt. Very talented women. I hope they make more movies. Also, uh, another American indie called Prairie Love by Dusty Bias. Again, super short. You could watch this thing uh, while you're fixing dinner, 81 minutes long, which includes a, a really, really cool uh, short called uh, Family Portrait, which is awesome. I, I almost think Family Portrait is the, is the real reason to get this. It's a, it's a terrific five-minute animated short from the U.K. that is just outstanding. Uh, as for Prairie Love itself, um, it's, it's fine. It's not uh, one of the best film movement films I've seen, but it's got some nice performances in it. Uh, it takes place in North Dakota, kind of uh, tries to have a little bit of a Fargo quality to it. Um, but, uh, you know, 
it's good. It was at Sundance and, uh, you know, didn't get a lot of traction after that. But it's worth checking out. It's worth checking out. Uh, then we have from my beloved France, uh, The Day I Saw Your Heart by Jennifer Devildare, along with the bonus short film uh, from Canada, a terrific little animated short, Don't Tell Santa You're Jewish, which is awesome. I, I'm amazed by some of these animated shorts, Mark. They're really, really terrific. Uh, the Day I Saw Your Heart, another uh, really interesting film from a, from a female director, which uh, did very well at the Berkshires International Film Festival. Did you know there was even a Berkshires International Film Festival? I knew there was a Berkshire Film Festival. I did not know it was international, yeah. which, by the way, could just be Canada. That well. would be international. Well, anyway, this also gets into all the anxieties of parenthood and, uh, you know, the the difficulties of relationships. The Day I Saw Your Heart, really very nice, uh, with Melanie Laurent, who I adore. Remember, Melanie Laurent was in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, she's beautiful. She's terrific. We interviewed her. That's right. We did. See, you'd forgotten about that. Anyway, Melanie Laurent is in this with Michel Blanc, who is a terrific actor and filmmaker, by the way. uh, Michel Blanc won Best Screenplay once at the Cannes Film Festival for... uh, for uh, Dead Tired, uh, Grosse Fatigue, which Woody Allen was going to remake, and no one's ever remade it. Very strange. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is there. And then also from France is Free Men by Ismail Farouki, which is a, a really gripping World War II drama set in uh, occupied Paris, uh, centering about a, a centering on an Algerian man. Of course, if you didn't notice, Ismail Farouki is uh, of Algerian extraction. And uh, it's about a guy, this young Algerian guy who's just working the black market angles uh, in occupied Paris under uh, Nazi occupation. And it, what's really interesting here is this is the first film I've ever seen who, that gets into the role that Muslims had in uh, the resistance, in the French resistance, which is interesting because um, it gets into the relationship between Jews and, and Arabs in France during World War II under occupation. And that's a dynamic I've never seen in another movie before, and uh, it is it is really really interesting. And I think they, I think uh, Faruqi does a great job with it. So bravo to him. This was uh, this was at Toronto and at Abu Dhabi, and it includes the uh, short film Lustig, uh, which also has a World War II concentration camp theme. So it's very nicely paired. They're very very sharp about that. So well well done there. And then two more Corpo Celeste from Italy. Uh, by Alice Rohrwacher. These are a lot of female directors this week. This is uh, pretty cool, right? Right? Nah, no movement? I'm you're bored. not even paying attention. Nope. You're, you're, you're J-dating, aren't you? Actually, I'm not. I, I would tell you if I was, but I'm not. Okay, that's great. Well, anyway, this is an Italian film that also comes with a German short film. Uh, they are both really, really good. The uh, film itself, Corpo Celeste, was at the New York Film Festival. And features also, like all of these, just really, really uh, terrific performances. Honestly, really terrific performances. Uh, the uh, The story here is, uh, it, it's, you know, it's it's just character driven stuff. It's not uh, not a lot by way of plot, but it uh, it deals with uh, you know personal. How do I describe this without giving everything away? It deals with uh, a young girl's, a thirteen year old girl's personal spiritual journey. Uh, by way of Roman Catholicism, and uh, it's a it's extremely well written, very well directed, and uh, I think this was also yeah this was also at the uh, director's fortnight at Cannes. So terrific, uh, terrific film there, Corpo Celeste, also at Sundance by the way. And then uh, a, a big, a big big festival film here was Found Memories. This was at Venice. It was at Toronto. Uh, this was very 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 well received. This is a Brazilian film directed by Julia Murat, another female director. And uh, I don't want to say that this is a... Um, it feels a little bit like Brazilian neorealism in a way. And that's, I think that's interesting because that's a way that Brazilian films have been going for a while. 
basically just about a, a working class woman in a uh, in a small, very small, way out Brazilian village, and um, also a religious theme here, by the way, where this woman is dealing with family tragedy as well as the reawakening of her life. So bad things have happened to her, good things are about to happen to her, and you have to sort of be along for the ride with her, uh, her, you know, her lifetime reawakening. It's very nice. The, uh, the film here, the short film, is a 19-minute Belgian short film called Land of the Heroes by Sahim Omar Khalifa, uh, which is, is cute. It's, uh, I expected something a little denser and darker, but it's actually quite good. It's also about a... Uh, a ten-year-old kid and his sister, and uh, it's uh, it's got a Middle Eastern theme to it. Let's just say that. So, with that, those are our great film movement titles. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's worth becoming a member of the Film Movement uh, Movie of the Month Club. It's it's terrific. It's a really great model. You get the movie before it gets into store shelves and before it gets available on the internet at uh, at e-tailers, and uh, it's your own private little uh, film film festival in your mailbox once a month. Wade, you really uh, sold that. that. I did. You blew through it and you sold it big time. Thank you. All right, Mark, that's it. So uh, we are done for this week. Uh, Check in with us next week and send us your Vox boxes, send us your listener mail, and send us your new show intros, all of them, to gods at digigods.com. And with that, Mark? The balcony is closed. You bet it is. (laughs) 